right now. This is an exclusive as I, the Connor Cooper, attempts the Brian Kendrick dance. Do you know what the Brian Kendrick dance is? Well, maybe you just haven't watched wrestling long enough. I can't do it. I can't do it. I, I don't understand. I don't understand how he's, he, he moves like he's a, he's a cross between a peacock, a flamingo, and I, I don't even know what the f he is. What, what is the Brian Kendrick? Like, literally a month from when he gets drafted, he goes from, oh, I'm just a happy-go-lucky man to dancing around like he's just, I, I don't know. What is your secret, Kendrick? Oh, he just smoked a lot of marijuana then. Huh. Well, the f do I do now? On this week's episode of the Wrestling With Fiction podcast, we'll be discussing he's a man and he has a plan. It's the Brian Kendrick. <laughs> One of my thoughts on him potentially winning the WWE Championship, could he have done so much more in WWE, and where on earth could he have gone next? So for now, tell your friends, tell your friendliest friends, tell them all about this new and exciting edition of the Wrestling With Fiction Podcast! Ladies, gentlemen, and lady gentlemen, my fictional friends, welcome to the Wrestling With Fiction podcast, the podcast where I pitch to you wrestling storylines from the good to the bad to the damn right insane. My name's Connor, and yes, I may or may not be a man with the plan, because we are talking about Brian Kendrick, a man who I've been... I've been praying that making kayfabe did not make a rebooking before I did it. <laughs> I'll be honest. Because <laughs> uh, there's, there's, there, there have been some that I've been hoping I could make just a little bit before. But then there was like, oh, damn it. I, 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 can't, I can't beat these guys. I can't beat these guys. So shout out to making kayfabe. Thank God I made this before them. <laughs> oh, they're, they're lovely people. Go If you don't already, go check out making kayfabe. Wherever you get your podcast, Bryce and Dylan are fantastic. That that is me plugging them way better than I plug myself. So, without further ado, I I think we should just get into why I kind of want to do Brian Kendrick. Yeah, as as discussed, Brian Kendrick, he he got he he liked the marijuana a lot in two thousand eight. So much so that it. If I read the Wrestling Observer reports right, it got him de-pushed drastically. Like, this is a guy who, nonchalantly, was in the main event scene for SmackDown within one month. And was a tag team guy literally like a couple weeks before that. That That's insane. That's insane considering Brian Kendrick and where he was before. Especially when you look at 2008 itself. A... Some would say even that point still a land of the giants. You go back to the infamous, unforgiven WWE Championship scramble match. He is the ring general of that match. 
Like, Triple H only has, like, five minutes in there, and he spends the first minute beating up Brian Kendrick. And before that, he, he holds the belt technically longer than Andre the Giant did as WWE Champion, and longer than Daniel Bryan did in his first run when he beat John Cena at SummerSlam. I, I want to recognize Brian Kendrick as a WWE Champion. I, I don't care what anyone says. He is... A legitimate WWE champion. I refuse to accept otherwise. <laughs> Aside from that, I think his whole character was a huge booking missed opportunity. The the wrestling character who plays with brains over brawn is a time and true cliche that I love in wrestling, and I don't think it's used enough, especially. When you look at how successful other characters have been with it, take a more modern example, Sami Zayn during his Intercontinental title run. That was really fun. Like, I, I look back at Brian Kendrick, and even, like, his stuff where he won the Scramble, like, Battle Royal just so he can get in. He doesn't even win the match. He just, he's just basically held up by Ezekiel Jackson until the Big Show <laughs> eliminates everybody. <laughs> like, that, it, it's those little things that make wrestling Awesome. Like, it's a variety show, and I think having an intelligent character like Kendrick was a huge missed opportunity. Like, I I still, it baffles me how WWE didn't see more in this guy. Like, I understand the whole marijuana stuff, but I don't think it was enough to really de-push the guy. When you look at, like, his body of work and what he was doing at that point... It was some of the best work of his career, arguably the best. Like, let's not even get into the 2016 Cruiserweight Classic stuff. One of my favorite matches from that tournament is Brian Kendrick versus Kota Ibushi. We'll get into 2016 the Brian Kendrick in these bookings. Because we're not just going to be covering 2008 Brian Kendrick, we're going to be covering... Him, even when he returned. Because I still think they didn't fully use him to his fullest potential. Like, when you look at his CWC run, and then you look at what he did on 205 Live, I, I think it's a crime that we didn't get to see more of him, especially with the way that 205 Live was portrayed. Even though we did see segments of him on Raw, and him winning the Cruiserweight title, he could have done so much more with that belt. I, I think having the wily veteran who's obsessed with someone potentially taking his spot is a brilliant character move for him. But we'll we'll get into this a little bit later. So, we've already kind of already discussed it, but I feel like it's best to really give you the full scope of the The Brian Kendrick character all the way from 2008 to 2020 in about four minutes. So, let's take a journey, shall we? <laughs> Okay, cool. So, debuting on the July 18th edition of SmackDown in 2008, a brand new heel, Brian Kendrick, would debut a new ring attire, including a zipper printed jacket, I, I, I'm not quite sure how to describe it, and a new bodyguard named Ezekiel. Over the course of the entire month, he would go on to win several squash matches against the likes of Stephen Richards, Colt Cabana, aka Scotty Goldblum at the time, Really funny, by the way, and super crazy. 
Over the course of this, he would eventually go on to have a victory in a 10-man battle royal in which he would be qualifying for the WWE Championship Scramble on the August 22nd edition of SmackDown. Kendrick would become the interim champion for about 10 minutes and would be the longest reigning interim champion of the match. Hooray! Well, not fully hooray, because... Uh, a couple weeks later, he would call himself the longest reigning interim champion, deserve a title match. He would eventually lose his shot to face Triple H for the WWE Championship against Jeff Hardy. And then... Yeah, if if you weren't watching Raw or SmackDown frequently during this period, you, you would kind of forget that the Brian Kendrick was a member of this roster. He would later be drafted to Raw and would compete for their chance to be a tag team champion, but it didn't really amount to much. Over the course of this, he would eventually lose his partner Ezekiel in the process, and he would stop having this storyline with Jerry the King Lawler, sort of like cutting promos on him, trying to get his attention and get another tag team partner, before eventually losing to Kofi Kingston in very quick, short fashion, before getting released. Because, you know, the marijuanas were high with this man, and... Well, we wouldn't see Brian Kendrick for another eight years because, hooray, the Cruiserweight Classic arrived. Probably one of the best tournaments in WWE history. Fight me. And we got Brian Kendrick coming back in the snazzy video packages talking about how he missed being part of the WWE system and said that he was released and rightfully so. Basically, his whole story throughout the tournament was he was a wrestler who feared everything because he thought this could be his last run. You had Daniel Bryan on commentary, putting him over as someone who he trained with alongside Shawn Michaels and all these other great things. He would eventually go on to win the first round against Raul Mendoza. He would then eventually win the second round against Tony Nese, then put on a blinder of a match against Kota Ibushi in which, I'm sorry, I need to add some effects here. He put on a burning hammer. And we're going to lose the tournament in an incredibly impressive match. My personal favorite match of that entire tournament. Over the course of several months from this period, the Cruiserweight division would be established once again with the Cruiserweight title bringing Fort back. And one of the very first feuds of that was the Brian Kendrick versus TJP. These two would eventually go back and forth until the Brian Kendrick would capture the Cruiserweight Championship and would eventually drop it to the debut of 205 Live. I'm sorry, Kendrick. <laughs> Over the course of this, he would have several one-off feuds with the likes of Akira Tozawa and Jack Gallagher, in which would eventually lead him to eventually, as I'm trying to remember my facts here, eventually have a face turn. That really took long for me to realize I needed to say face turn, <laughs> where he shaved his beard and he eventually grew out his beard again and then just kind of disappeared for a bit. Where by the end of those several feuds on 205 Live where he was dubbed the weak link against several 205 Live competitors at the time, Drew Gulak, Tony Nese, etc. He, he's kind of just a backstage agent now. From what I'm aware of, just from the clips of WWPC and his overall, I guess, conversation within those videos? Yeah, he's mainly just a performance center guy now. So, as you can see from this, there was a lot of really, I want to say, fun moments in his career. 
a lot of highs that could have went so much higher if given the opportunity. So I think it's time that I need to explain how this is all going to work. And if you've been listening since the beginning of the year, you know what segment is next. It's time for the tagline. And for those of you who are new to this podcast and you're wondering what the heck is the tagline, the tagline is my essentially my process, what I'm planning to do with the character and my overall summary of their story arc in about 30 words or less. Think of it like a summary that you'd see when you're scrolling through Netflix or, well, the summary that you can see on Crunchyroll because I refuse to believe otherwise. It's official and I refuse to ignore this. WWE is going to get a Crunchyroll show. I don't know why. I don't know why not. That kind of describes my thought process. (laughs) And we're going to get straight into this. So... I need to ask myself very quickly, because even though we've just added music, I I think it's time that I need to ask myself to cue the music, future me! Okay, so, as alluded to, Kendrick, he isn't an idiot. He... Character-wise, he's probably one of the smartest wrestlers that WWE has attempted to book. If you go back and watch his squash matches, you'd find that he has he gets a lot, a lot of the time beaten up, even by the lower card guys like Super Crazy and Stephen Richards. He he gets beaten up a lot. You know what makes him different from all those people who get beaten up a lot and who are considered smart? Uh, the muscle that he has, Ezekiel, he doesn't really interfere. It's the other wrestlers' mistakes that lead to Brian Kendrick taking advantage, and that's where the intelligence of Brian Kendrick comes in. He's a wrestler who, you watch him in the ring, and he, even though he's a smaller guy, he finds every, kind of in a similar way to Darby Allin, anything at his disposal to keep people on the ground and that's kind of what the appeal of Brian Kendrick is it's that he doesn't wrestle like anybody else because in a world where especially in 2008 Smackdown in a world where brawn beats brains Brian Kendrick is a wrestler that beats people with brains and For me, that kind of sums up the tagline for this week. Because his whole situation is one brought upon by circumstances completely out of his control. Being in a tag team that eventually got a lot of heat because of a certain incident with a limo. And it it kind of forced him to completely change his entire character completely. And arguably, probably the most memorable run of his career. So that's why my tagline for this week is Thrust into a position out of his perceived league, a man with a plan manipulates his status to achieve a grandeur never destined for him. Because I don't think any of this was really destined for Kendrick. None of it. Like, you, you go back to his years as Spanky. Remember Spanky? Does anyone remember Spanky? <laughs> 
Yeah, not not much there. He was a wrestler who got bullied by basically everyone. I remember him getting bullied by The Undertaker, bullied by Brock Lesnar. And then even when he was a tag team champion with Paul London, he spent a whole year kind of kind of being overlooked as tag team champions. They held the belts for over a goddamn year. So, for me, the Brian Kendrick's character is a redemption of that. It's a redemption of being treated like a nobody because he didn't have to size everybody else. But he always had the brains of a genius. So, I think it's time that we get into the very first pitch of this episode. And I I think we're going to start off with uh, a little bit of classics 2008 Kendrick here. We're not we're not going to frost to 2016, but we will. The very first feud is one where we we may as well just see what it would be like if Kendrick ever decided to, you know, chase for gold, if you know what I mean. So the plan for this originally was that it was going to be a a Triple H title program. But then I realized I don't want this to be a full-on Triple H Brian Kendrick feud. Other than I just want a reason to make Brian Kendrick WWE champion. Which I think he should have been. Like, you look at SmackDown in the landscape of 2008. There are not many top heels that the top heel Edge only really comes back around Survivor Series. SmackDown was really missing top heels in 2008. So, this is as much a booking of Brian Kendrick becoming WWE Champion as it is making a new top heel on SmackDown. So, let's, let's begin where I think it should begin, and it is two weeks after the Unforgiven pay-per-view on September 2008, where Brian Kendrick was the WWE Champion, and I refuse to accept otherwise. And it all starts after that episode of SmackDown where Brian Kendrick fought Jeff Hardy for a number one contendership for the WWE Championship. And of course, Kendrick lost. That sucks. So, the first thing that happens is that Brian Kendrick, sorry, THE Brian Kendrick, walks into Teddy Long's office, in which Teddy Long quickly responds saying just, hey, I know you want a WWE title match, but look, you lost your match last week. No matter how much you try and claim to me that you're the longest interim champion, you're not the real WWE champion. And Kendrick, you know, he smiles, he says, alright, that's fine. So... If I'm not facing the WWE Champion, I want a match tonight. And Teddy's like, but what? Aren't you supposed to be a bad guy here or something? It's like, no, no, I'm not. I want a tag team match. Me and Ezekiel versus Jesse and Festus. That's right. The beginning of this storyline and a pursuit to the WWE Championship starts with a tag team match player <laughs> against Jesse and Festus, no less. Because, you know what, Jesse and Festus? Maybe not the best tag team, but 
Festus was relatively over, he got a match with The Undertaker. Like, The Undertaker! <laughs> so, we have, of course, our match. It is Brian Kendrick and Ezekiel Jackson versus Jesse and Festus. They have their clash. And, yeah, Kendrick pins Jesse, as he should. And as the bell rings, well... Well, you know what happens with Festus when a bell rings and the match is over. He, he's immobilized. He can't do anything. So it's at this point that Brian Kendrick, he, he signals to Ezekiel to go underneath the ring. And he, he, grabs, he grabs a pair of handcuffs and a pair of earplugs. And he puts them on Festus as Brian Kendrick proceeds to just wail on Jesse. Essentially, just beating the ever-loving you-know out of him. Until there is a spot where, you know, earplugs fully put in on Festus. Brian Kendrick hits Jesse with the ring bell. And everyone's expecting, oh, Festus is going to go and help him. No, he didn't hear the ring bell. Thus, he's still completely immobilized and won't do anything. Thus, Kendrick starts shouting, just... To Jesse, he can't hear you. He can't hear you. You know who you'll listen to? You know who you'll hear? He'll hear the Brian Kendrick. I will show him the truth. Kendrick and Ezekiel essentially take Festus to the back. Jesse is injured for months. He's set. He's sidelined off of television. And the next week, it kind of repeats in the same way that the Brian Kendrick's career started on SmackDown. He has... These squash matches, but particularly on this night, Brian Kendrick is just entering alone. And as he's making his entrance, he he signals for someone to come out with him. And it's Ezekiel and this man on a leash, skullet shaved. <laughs> it it's Festus. And Festus is looking well, he, he's not looking like Festus. He 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 looks intense. <laughs> like, like if if he was not on a leash, he he might just destroy the ring. That that's that's what we're looking at right now. Of course, Kendrick wins the squash match. You know how that would go. And then he he just signals to Festus to just sick him, and he starts beating the living s word out of this random jobber. <laughs> and so Kendrick he gets on the microphone. He starts cutting a promo saying that for a brand dubbed SmackDown, there, there's little competition. Thousands upon thousands of these mindless animals stay between the ropes without a hook or a crook or even a desire to achieve something greater. You know what they all lack? Leadership. They think that anybody can rise to the top when really that's not the case. No good king is great without his people, like Ezekiel, like myself, and much like this man, he, he, he points to Festus. You see, before this man came to me, he was a pawn to all of you. You cheered for mindless savagery with no direction or intent. Now look at him. With my guidance, he is willing to charge through anything. You cheered for a clown. The Brian Kendrick promises a change in this industry, 
a change where talent exceeds brawn and height. One where if you lack brains, you'll be sent, and he slaps Festus on the chest, to the gallows. Festus is now just known as Gallows. Kendrick puts out a massive statement to anyone on SmackDown that brains will succeed over brawn. Some of you may recall that the bre- that the next pay-per-view at this point in this kind of timeline in 2008 is Cyber Sunday. Now, of course, Lee Brian Kendrick doesn't really have a match on this show, and to be honest, I don't think he really needs a match on this show. You, you've already just established this new group, and this whole thing is about a voting system that kind of goes against, like, Lee Brian Kendrick's thing about brains exceeding over brawn and everyone kind of being mindless, so... Brian Kendrick doesn't really have a match, but he does have time to cut a promo on the audience saying that they don't know what they want. What they want. Jesus, what they want. (laughs) They don't know what they want. It's the blind leading the blind. He goes on to say that even in our main event, I I already know who's going to be challenging for this championship. I, I don't need to listen to any of you to know who it is. And I hope that the participant in this match becomes aware. And that he can see the truth the same way that the Brian Kendrick has. This, of course, is referring to the WWE Championship match. Triple H defending against either Jeff Hardy, Vladimir Kozlov, or both in a triple threat. So, before this happens, and we get the results of this, Brian Kendrick, he talks to Vladimir Kozlov. He he doesn't say outwardly that Kozlov wouldn't be challenging for the WWE Championship, even though I think it's kind of obvious when you look at who he's facing. He... He essentially alludes to the fact that this company doesn't trust people like you, or people like him. People who are different from the status quo. People who, on the surface, feel like one-note carnies. And then he just walks away, leaving Kozlov to, you know, ponder on the idea as he prepares for what could be the biggest match of his career. Now, before we continue, I I would like to remind everyone of a a quick little promo that Brian, THE Brian Kendrick dubbed in the build-up to the Unforgiven Scramble match, where he talks about how there is a fine line between genius and insanity. But if you know how to walk the line... Nobody can stand in your way. Because at the end of what had been revealed as Jeff Hardy versus Triple H, as it was in real life, Kozlov interferes at the end of Triple H's retention. He essentially just assaults him, kind of how you would see in your typical WWE interference, wacky doodles, and in it, he, he just he just leaves him laying. And he he signals to the back only to see the Brian Kendrick walk around, smug, happy, 
doing his little dance that we're all aware of, you know, just soaking up the heat. And he walks into the ring. He walks into the ring alongside Ezekiel, alongside Festus. And then he stands in the middle, the center of the ring, where Kozlov falls in line. Brian Kendrick cuts a promo saying that you should have seen this coming. You should have all seen this coming. I promised a change in this company. A change that couldn't be done by any of you people. So, when I realized I couldn't rely on any single one of you, I realized that in order to get the WWE's attention, I needed to create some attention. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you a coup. WWE, welcome to the Kendrick Coalition. Cyber Sunday births a faction. All people, Brian Kendrick, a man shunned for years for being a person who was undersized, undervalued, and underappreciated. Ezekiel, the Brian Kendrick right-hand man, a person who was brought in just to be someone else as a support, as an enhancement talent, a security guard to some extent. Festus, now known as Gallows, a person who was stereotyped to be nothing but a white trash hillbilly who had difficulties that he could not comprehend, but with the teachings of the Brian Kendrick, can now achieve anything. And finally, Kozlov, a man who, upon his entrance into WWE, has been dominating the entire WWE roster, but was failed to be recognized as a credible challenger by the fans that he attempted to entertain. The Kendrick Coalition is what can best be described as a, a coalition built around the Brian Kendrick. One that I think is poetic in a sense. You look at the Brian Kendrick and his whole thing, he's adding in the extra word the as a, you know, a confidence boost to a thing that he cut in early promo saying that this, the Brian Kendrick, is the real Brian Kendrick. Everything else was a sham. And in this, He's inadvertently gotten all these one-named people who don't really have a last name. They just got code names because in the mind of the Brian Kendrick, his goal is bigger than the people in his group. The goal of proving that brains can exceed in a company built by decades of brawn. From this point, the Kendrick Coalition is a monster of a faction. You look at... I, I love the idea of the visual of just the Brian Kendrick like doing this dance as like three big burly men follow behind him. And they, they essentially just attempt to take over SmackDown. They, they assault tag team champions but don't go after the belts. They, they attack people like Shelton Benjamin, MVP, Jeff Hardy... Triple H to a point where they could finally get Teddy Long to no longer ignore the Brian Kendrick. Brian Kendrick begs for a match for the WWE Championship, but he doesn't get it by Teddy Long because he feels that he's not early earning it. 
he's manipulating people to make it seem like he deserves it. Of course, this makes Brian Kendrick angry. And in this, he says that, fine, if you won't let me have a match because of your own stereotypical values of what should be a champion, how about my man Kozlov? And so he encourages Vladimir to have a match against the WWE champion at the time, Triple H, being certain into the triple threat that was supposed to happen at, I want to remember, Survivor Series? And this goes pretty much how all of it went before, pretty much. Kozlov, Jeff Hardy's injured for a good portion of the match. Kozlov and Triple H wrestle in. It's lackluster, but, you know, it's feeding a story. Brian Kendrick's at ringside, kind of just observing everything, you know, waiting to pick the bones of everything. Edge returns, becomes WWE champion, and we we continue the chase. We're going to fast forward a little bit, because we, we haven't even got to the title win yet. We move to Armageddon, where, of course, Jeff Hardy captures the WWE championship. You know, at this point, Jeff Hardy had a couple tune-up matches to build it up, kind of like on the, what was it, the 3rd of November 2008 edition of of Not Smackdown Raw, because it was the 800th episode, where it was the Hardy Boys in a rare match where Matt Hardy was still ECW champion against the Brian Kendrick and MVP. Hardy Boys would eventually win, and there's a, there's a particular detail in it where Brian Kendrick doesn't really go to save MVP. He he kind of just, like, gets in there and then moves back. He, he doesn't really help him at all, and Matt Hardy looks on in confusion as Jeff Hardy's music plays. Th- this will be relevant later. I'm, I'm talking about this now because it will be relevant later. And from this point, the Kendrick Coalition set their sights on the WWE champion Jeff Hardy. And... It goes into a build where we are going to have Edge versus Jeff Hardy versus The Brian Kendrick versus Kozlov in a fatal four-way match at the Royal Rumble for the WWE Championship. Teddy Long tries to deny it again and again and again until Kendrick decides to play the game of the entire company. And that's play with some brawn. Kendrick orders Kozlov, Gallows, and Ezekiel to essentially just beat the living S-word out of Teddy Long for a bit. Until he eventually accepts. He starts cutting this promo in Teddy Long's office, sitting in the chair, just saying, Is is this what you wanted, Teddy? I know you never liked me, Teddy. From the days that I was a laughing stock with Vince McMahon to Brock Lesnar's punching bag to Undertaker's... Well, we won't talk about that. You and the rest of these parasites don't appreciate the gift before you. You, Teddy, have the opportunity to change the course of history. This company has relied on brawn over brains for too long. They push brutes over a man with a plan. So if that's what you want to play, Teddy, we can play that game again and again and again. Until you give me and what the universe deserves. 
a man with a plan. Teddy eventually accepts. We've got our Royal Rumble match. And the story of the match is how you'd kind of imagine it. It's it's Edge and Jeff Hardy pulling off what could be considered an unlikely alliance to try and get the Brian Kendrick and Kozlov not to work together because the goal of this would ultimately be for the Brian Kendrick to get the WWE Championship by any means necessary. So we get a bunch of like tag team maneuvers with Edge and Jeff Hardy, you know, a couple of nostalgic spots, like a little bit of poetry in motion, you know, a couple of maybe like a five second pose to mock the Brian Kendrick. We get a spot where Edge spears Kozlov through a barricade so you can get that this is awesome pop and you don't have to have Kozlov do a lot. You still keep like Ezekiel and Gallows in there, you know, as foils for the match. And then finally, we get to the finishing part where, well, I think you know how this finishing part goes in the main timeline of this. Uh, Matt Hardy comes out. Steel chair to Jeff. Yeah, uh, that still happens. But he also hits Edge. And Kendrick looks to Matt Hardy. And he, he starts smiling. He, he starts smiling at Matt Hardy. They both kind of smile. And he hands Jeff Hardy over to the Brian Kendrick. And he says, change the world. And at this point, Brian Kendrick goes in for the cover. One, two, three. Brian Kendrick is your new WWE champion. With the assistance of Jeff Hardy and all of the Kendrick Coalition, it took everybody just to be Edge and Jeff Hardy. Kendrick is your WWE champion. From this point forward, we get the very special Kendrick celebration. It's him just, you know... Because I, I want to see the visual of him doing the dance with the WWE Championship. And of course, he invites Matt Hardy, who explains his actions on why he attacked Edge. He talks about how he, over the course of several years where he was trying to change himself, there are always people in his life who kept interfering with his change. He He's an innovator. He was the version one of professional wrestling. And then he became a nobody because people like Edge... Took away the things that he loved. People like Jeff tried to bring him and drag him down to nostalgia pops and old catchphrases and moves that just don't work for him anymore. He's not that kind of guy anymore. But what he is, he's an innovator. He he believes, as does the Kendrick Coalition, that there are only certain leaders who should exist in this world. One that has brains over brawn. And that is the Brian Kendrick. And at this point, we we build to, well, the final part of this story, which is, was well, the Elimination Chamber match. And some of you might remember this as being the one where Edge lost within the first round. Well, in this match, we have got Matt Hardy. We've got Vladimir Kozlov. We've got the Brian Kendrick. And, of course, we've got Triple H, Jeff Hardy, and Edge. Kind of the three big key players in that match. And from this point, we, we build 
up to this match. And the build for this is just Kendrick having a huge number advantage compared to everybody else. And all of them wanting to go after the Brian Kendrick for having their own personal vendettas and grudges. Triple H, the damage done to Kozlov costing him the WWE Championship. Edge still believing that he should be WWE Champion. Even though he didn't really have much reason for it otherwise. He still wants to use the power of Vicky Guerrero to get that shot. Jeff Hardy. He wants his rematch after spending so long trying to climb to the WWE Championship. Only for it to be ripped away by his brother and... A man who, you know, for years he would consider a close friend. A friend who he and himself both grew up together in a sense in WWE. Both were forced to mature in ways that many people couldn't really describe. And now Kendrick has gone completely to the dark side. Essentially, being like Gollum with the ring with the championship. Using it in creative ways to... Win by count out against guys like The Big Show, Triple H, and so on. And having this kind of pack of wolves mentality with everyone else on the roster. Almost, to an extent, contradicting his, you know, idea of brawn existing over brains. But in his mind, it doesn't matter. Because he's a man with a plan. So, this happens. Jeff Hardy and Matt Hardy take each other out, eliminating themselves... Edge gets a shock roll-up from the Brian Kendrick. And, you know, there's some miscommunication between Kozlov and Kendrick that leads to Triple H, as it does in real life, winning the WWE Championship. Now, some of you might argue, why why shouldn't Kendrick get a longer reign with the belt? You spent what is a better part of five months trying to build Kendrick up to be a WWE Champion? Well, Kendrick... I think the important thing to do to get over Kendrick, and why I like this is for Kendrick to get the W Championship, he needed to make continuous amounts of plans and tweaks. He he had to go from one thing of being an interim champion to essentially building a supergroup just so that he can get recognized to face for the WWE Championship. Because the Brian Kendrick, he's one of those guys who... Even though he is a heel, he's still an undersized guy in that 2008 era of SmackDown. You need to have muscle like Ezekiel and Kozlov and Gallows to get over the idea that he is a force to be reckoned with. If he's controlling these people who are twice his size, what, what, why, why wouldn't you want to believe in this man? Like, I think... It would be really interesting if that did happen because Kendrick is such a manipulative wrestler. Like, you see how he wrestles in the ring. He's very, like, close quarters, take advantage of anything that is available to him. Which I think works really well for a heel character that's based off intelligence and, you know, using other people and circumstances around him, as with, you know, the Festus thing, to the best of his abilities. Anyways, I realise now this seems to be becoming a trend of me making a really long first storyline. <laughs> so we're going to move on to something that's a little bit more shorter, because I know that was a almost a whole six-month booking. 
And we're going to move on to one that's a little bit shorter. We've already talked about a wrestler involved in this storyline already. And let's just say that Kendrick, well, he's going to need to be more than just a man with a plan. He needs to cash in on the opportunity that's presented itself. Some might say that he'd need to become an ultimate opportunist. Edge! Because why why not, really? Like, he's 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 the ultimate opportunist versus a man with a plan. First of all, those titles kind of write themselves. Second of all, I want a wrestling feud. But you could you could finally get the the wrestling the WWE equivalent of wrestlers playing chess instead of playing checkers. This is for my for my time in the good old age of two thousand nine. Your your mind games of a feud. Your your thoughts on how the heck is this gonna work? Oh wait, who's gonna outwit the other? And how are we gonna determine that? Well, through the beginning of this which is in the good old age of 2009. Brian Kendrick has been drafted to Raw. Edge has just recently lost the world title, as he did in real life, to CM Punk. And... Yeah, it starts out how you'd kind of imagine. Both wanting a shot at the World Heavyweight Champion. Yeah, you plucky baby face, CM Punk, because... Who... CM Punk... It was great to see him win. But... He should have had a better challenger than JBL, so we're gonna fix that. Both Edge and the Brian Kendrick stumble into the, you know, the general manager's office talk about why they deserve a championship match. Edge, he technically has a rematch clause because remember, rematch clauses still exist. Second of all, you also have the Brian Kendrick still claim that he's the longest interim champion in WWE history. A fact that should never be ignored. I really do mean should never be ignored. That is that is the best. Like I said, he held it longer than freaking Daniel Bryan. So they kind of argue saying that I want to be the champion. I want to be the champion. I want to be the champion. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's like two brothers bickering because they want to be the champion. I want to hold the toy longer, Dad. And so in this... They're put into a number one contenders match with Batista that, of course, goes horribly wrong. And the general manager has no choice to be like, hey, uh, you guys, you guys can't get along. So we're going to make this worse for the challenger. He wants to fight all of you. So at the bash, because remember, they changed the great American bash to just the bash. Is <laughs> CM Punk versus Batista versus Edge and the Brian Kendrick. Now. How on earth is this going to really work? Well, Edge and the Brian Kendrick form an unlikely alliance. Now I know, we already touched this on the last one, but this is slightly different because both of them want to be World Heavyweight Champions. So they have an alliance, but it isn't really an alliance. Like, each of them, almost like throughout the match, seem like they're about to turn on each other, but the other catches them and is like, Oh, oh, were you about to... No, no, no. Oh, were you about to? No, no, no. It, it, it's that cheeky little like, oh, he's going to do something. But he's not going to do something. Is he going to do something? I don't know. And spoilers by the end of this match, somebody does a thing. So <laughs> Edge, 
Edge seeing the Brian Kendrick go for the slice bread on CM Punk goes in, hits a spear on the Brian Kendrick, which leaves just enough a distraction for CM Punk to hit the go to sleep, hit the one, two, three. CM Punk retains your World Heavyweight Championship because these two just couldn't coexist. What, what a shocker. Two, two people who don't usually team together form an alliance and they can't coexist. What is this? So we move on to Raw the week after, both of them still demanding a World Heavyweight title match, except this time Edge is denied and the Brian Kendrick gets his shot at CM Punk because he believes that, well, if it wasn't for me getting hit by an Edge spear, you wouldn't been able to capitalize on the opportunity. And trust me, I know because I was the longest interim champion in WWE history. We get promos throughout the night, CM Punk saying that while well, you were an interim champion, I've been fighting as a real world heavyweight champion. We get Brian Kendrick sort of come back saying this is his true opportunity that he's been waiting for. And of course, we still have segments of Edge still demanding a world title match because the rated R superstar always, he always just wants that belt, doesn't he? So we have our match, the Brian Kendrick versus CM Punk. And, of course, Edge gets involved, seeing that he, yeah, he just wants a shot at the wall tile and he doesn't care who gets involved. So he ends up spearing the Brian Kendrick, causing the DQ, CM Punk vice versa. And at the next pay-per-view, we have ourselves a triple threat match. It's CM Punk versus Edge and the Brian Kendrick going kind of in a similar direction, except in the build to this, we have Edge talking to the Brian Kendrick, simply stating to him, why are we fighting? Why are we letting this random... This... <sighs> you know what? No. Listen to me. You and me, we're a lot alike, Kendrick. We're a lot alike. We both were bullied in the early stages of our career. We were both forced to be people who we were not. We had to be fake in order to have these people love us, where in reality... We never need them at all. Both men shake hands, essentially forming a, a temporary alliance again. And to prove that they have this temporary alliance, over the coming weeks they compete in tag team matches, which the psychology of these matches, the opponents are not important. What is important to emphasize here is that both men are working as a team. <laughs> they are working as a cohesive unit Except of one small thing. Neither of them will let each other get the pin. <laughs> they, they're both trying to be so nice and kind to each other to try and keep an alliance going. That they're, they're both encouraging, hey, you take the pin. Uh, no, you take the pin. That just the mind games of being like, hey, if I, if I get him into my comfort zone, he, he's not. He's not going to do anything about it. And so... In this, you see Brian Kendrick specifically rack up a lot of wins, Edge racking up a lot of wins, all the way up to, well, the pay-per-view, where, because there are two titles, the World Heavyweight title match goes on first. It is the opening match, CM Punk versus the Brian Kendrick and Edge, and it's, it's pretty much what you'd kind of expect from this. Both of them kind of using that tag team experience to keep themselves as like a team. I'd like to see a combination between a slice bread and a spear 
where it looks like Edge is about to get the win, but the Brian Kendrick essentially stops him. And then Edge throws him out the ring and goes for a pin again, but CM Punk kicks out. And it's only through the distraction of each other that CM Punk once again gets a win on them, except this time pinning the Brian Kendrick. It's at this point where they've both essentially had enough. <laughs> like, this person is not letting me win my title that I worked for months for. And so the feud essentially begins. And it's it's pretty much mind games for the sake of mind games. The Brian Kendrick has another squash match like he's always had before, except this time Ezekiel isn't there with him. He can't seem to find Ezekiel. Like, where is he? He's always there. Then we cut to the Titan Tron where we see Ezekiel's been assaulted by Edge, in which Brian Kendrick kind of just brushes off as like, I, I don't care about that. Look, he was hired to get beaten up. You you can't freak me out, Edge. You call yourself an ultimate opportunist when the only opportunity that you're taking is to take a slap from the Brian Kendrick. <laughs> the next week, Edge has another match against, I'm trying to think of a good upper mid-carder, R-Truth! There we go, R-Truth! <laughs> he faces R-Truth, he gets the win, and at the back we see Edge assaulted, not Edge, Christian being assaulted by the Brian Kendrick, you know? Long-time tag team partner of Edge. And Edge, he kind of just reiterates the same thing, just in a more psychotic sense, saying, that, you think that's gonna stop me? Kendrick, if that's gonna stop me. Hey, I'm the ultimate opportunist. I'm the rated R superstar. I, I am just sick of you. I'm sick of your stupid jacket. I'm sick of your weird white trunks. I'm sick of your bodyguard. I'm sick of everything. Maybe he does the same thing with the old raw general manager. He starts destroying stuff. And it builds to the pay-per-view match where it is, it's a bit where they are essentially sick of each other. They're tired of all the random games. So it's a hardcore match where they can use their minds to their fullest extent and where they can finally unload all of these random acts of manipulation to try and get to a world title. And with it, you see stuff used in a bunch of random hardcore matches. You see duct tape to sort of like tie Edge's feet together so he can't use the spear. Uh, you see kendo stick shots. You see, possibly, if you really want it, some thumbtacks from Brian Kendrick's studded jacket. <laughs> like, just use everything in their arsenal. Like, just Brian Kendrick throwing the jacket at Edge at the beginning of the match to blind his vision so that he can get an early shot in. Uh, Edge trying to spear Brian Kendrick into a barricade, but Kendrick rolls out the way. Uh, maybe Ezekiel comes out partway through and Edge ha has to hit like a concerto or something to stop Ezekiel from trying to come into the ring. And I think you can go either way with the ending. I think you can have Edge win, reassert his dominance, or you can have Kendrick get a big superstar victory, having essentially beaten probably one of the smartest people in the WWE so you could proclaim that the Brian Kendrick is one of the smartest people in wrestling. Like, I think that's a fun idea, you know, the checkers and chess idea of, oh, you think you can beat me? No, I can beat you. I can beat you. I don't know. So that is the interlude feud to before, well, 
we jump all the way to 2016 because the next one it's another idea that I've had for a while it's one that I think can use a lot of the pre-established history of the Brian Kendrick in that kind of era but also really just you know elevate a certain title reign that I think is dreadfully overlooked because of well the reign that would come next I don't remember his theme, but Dean Ambrose! That's right! The former WWE champion with a reign that is easily forgotten by how good AJ Styles' one is. Fight me. Yes. Because... So a couple prerequisites with this. I, I was about to go straight into it. For the... For this, we need to factor in elements of the Cruiserweight Classic. Now, for all of this story to work, we need to factor in the actual official, like, recording of the tapings. Not the actual, like, when it was set live on the WWE Network. So, for this, for this to work, we're factoring in, basically, the dates that the matches actually happened live. So, with that out of the way, let's start the story. So, it is... The July 19th episode of Smackdown Live, or otherwise, some of you might know this as the Smackdown Draft. Remember that? Remember the draft, people? I don't. <laughs> but what I do remember is that Shane McMahon and Daniel Bryan, alongside Stephanie McMahon and McFoley, were picking their Raw and Smackdown Live draft picks. So, like in real life, we get to the final round of draft picks. Stephanie McMahon and Mick Foley, like in real life, also choose Cesaro as one of their final draft picks before the whole network supplemental draft that they did. And we're on to Shane McMahon and Daniel Bryan's final draft pick. Who could it be? Who? 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 Well, Shane McMahon has an answer. He gets out the microphone, he starts saying that his final pick is a former and future world heavyweight champion. Daniel Bryan looks on nervous, and as Shane is about to say who was actually SmackDown's final draft pick, Alberto Del Rio, ooh, not really good now. <laughs> Daniel Bryan basically just force grips uh, the microphone out of Shane McMahon's hand, and he shouts Brian Kendrick. Out of desperation, he starts shouting Brian Kendrick, Brian Kendrick, Brian Kendrick, and Shane argue sort of off mic as Brian Kendrick's music starts playing. The commentators put over the fact that Brian Kendrick, he, he's currently supposed to compete in the Cruiserweight Classic. What is he, what do you mean he's going to be on SmackDown? Is, is he even signed to a contract? And they start putting over the fact that Brian Kendrick, if he is officially put onto SmackDown, it'll be the first time in over eight years that he's be on SmackDown Live. And for the return of it, no less. And they start putting that over. They talk about how, you know, he's set to, at some point in the middle of it, face Kota Ibushi in the quarterfinals of the Cruiserweight Classic. This is why this is relevant. And Shane essentially just, he tries to regain composure. He is, he is the authority figure of SmackDown. He needs to learn to regain composure. Otherwise, 
the whole reason why the draft split initially happened kind of makes no sense because the whole thing was about who's going to take over for Vince McMahon. So, on the very first episode of SmackDown, Heath, like in real life, is still undrafted. I'm sorry for Heath. And he starts talking about, oh, he wants his contract because he's the hottest free agent. He came in with the Nexus, destroyed everything. And then instead of Shane McMahon coming out, uh, Daniel Bryan announces his opponent. And out comes from the crowd, it's the Brian Kendrick. Out of desperation, locking in the captain's hook, which if you guys don't remember what the captain's hook is, it's basically like a bulldog choke. He taps out Heath Slater in a matter of seconds. And we have ourselves the Brian Kendrick officially returning to SmackDown. So, during this point, the Brian Kendrick, of course, he hugs Daniel Bryan. It's been a while. He sees him on there. He constantly believes in him. And he starts glaring deftly at Shane McMahon, who Shane just outwardly says he, he doesn't trust Brian Kendrick. And Brian is like, well, what do you mean? He's, look, there's a reason why I put so much faith in him to be the final official draft pick of SmackDown. It's because he's... He's one of these guys who was never really given an opportunity. And I know that if we were going to make SmackDown Live, we wanted to push it as a land of opportunity. And I think that anyone deserves a second chance. Like the Brian Kendrick. At that point, Daniel Bryan walks off with Brian Kendrick. And Shane McMahon looks on suspicious. From this point over the coming weeks... The Brian Kendrick's kind of on both shows. He's on the Cruiserweight Classic, kind of, you know, analysing the matches. And he's also on SmackDown, pretty much fighting out of desperation. The commentators put over how if Brian Kendrick loses, this could be his end of the road. Like, he's 37 years old. He took an eight-year gap from competing in the t highest level of professional wrestling. There's, there's no reason why if... Kendrick loses, he would not go to the back of the line and eventually retire. At this point, the CWC plays out. Daniel Bryan tries his damnedest to put all of his faith into Kendrick winning the match against Kurobushi, and potentially, as is established later in the final weeks of the CWC, become the inaugural Cruiserweight Champion. At this point... Daniel Bryan starts becoming more and more involved in the matches of the Bryan Kendrick. On SmackDown, he always comes out ignoring some of his general manager duties to kind of just put over the Bryan Kendrick as a force to be reckoned with. And, you know, the commentators are starting to get a little bit suspicious. Like, Bryan, shouldn't you be working with Shane right now? It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've already sorted that out. I just want to, you know, really look at you know, what my friend is doing. You know, I really trust that he's going to be a big thing on SmackDown. I'm, I'm sure he he will do great things. I know he will do great things. You know, it's it's that shaking confidence that Daniel Bryan has. Like, any time that Kendrick is having orphans, he's just shouting as he did with the Kurobushi stuff with the burning hammer. Just cover him now. Cover him now. End this. End this quickly. And... Shane McMahon starts to kind of call him out on this, where, hey, look, I I know that you really value Brian Kendrick in this company, 
but you need to show a little bit less bias. You're, you're not a wrestler anymore, Brian. This, this thing, we need to be unbiased for wrestlers. If this wants to be the land of opportunity that you so rightfully want it to be, we need to factor in all the other wrestlers into account. You can't just keep booking Brian Kendrick in these matches, in these big high profile matches that, you know, up until this point, he hasn't really earned. And Brian, he, he refuses. Like, he's giving everyone an equal opportunity, he says to himself. And at this point, SummerSlam rolls on. And right near that, heading into SummerSlam, is the quarterfinals of the Cruiserweight Classic. In real life, Kendrick versus Kota Ibushi. And Kendrick loses, as he does. And, you know, we have pretty much all the stuff that we've had before this. We have Kendrick... And Brian embracing in the ring. Uh, Daniel Bryan putting over in backstage interviews that Brian Kendrick is one of the most talented wrestlers he's ever seen. And Kendrick almost on like the bridging of tears. And he jokes to Brian that, you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm not going to give up just yet. You know, I, I was a former WWE champion. And Brian just pats him on the back. He's like, yeah, yeah, you were. You were a former interim WWE champion. Kendrick says, no, no, I was, I was a former world champion. And it, it kind of goes off the air there for his time in the CWC. We come back on the post SummerSlam episode of SmackDown. Dean Ambrose has just officially, I would say, defended his title against The Miz, who was Intercontinental Champion at the time. And, well, yeah, Kendrick comes out of nowhere. <laughs> he starts wailing on Dean Ambrose with a steel chair. He starts targeting the legs. He starts targeting the arms, especially the arms. He just keeps hitting it with chair shot after chair shot after chair shot. And he, he essentially just runs off into the crowd as Dean Ambrose is essentially injured. Shane McMahon rushes in with a local medical team. And he looks up to Daniel Bryan, and he looks up to the Brian Kendrick. Both of them are named Brian, goddammit. <laughs> he looks up to Daniel Bryan, who slowly walks into the ring, and he, he stares over to him, and he says, D Did you know about this? And Daniel Bryan says, No, I, I, I didn't. We don't see Kendrick on TV for the next bit. Dean Ambrose has a whole, whole arcing story throughout the next week of SmackDown, trying to look for the Brian Kendrick. He tries to find, you know, people who are currently unsigned because of the Cruiserweight division, which was supposed to be exclusive to Raw. Uh, guys like Raul Mendoza, who we fought before, uh, Tony Nese, um, Cedric Alexander, everyone who kind of gets signed to the Cruiserweight Classic, and he just wails on some of these guys to ask, where is he? Where is he? You are with him. Where is he? And as this happens... Dean Ambrose is still on the chase for him. We don't see them, either of them, wrestling on television for this point. The next week, we get a sit-down interview with Michael Cole and the Brian Kendrick. Now, some of you might recall, if you're a frequent user of WWE's YouTube channel back in the day, that there was an exclusive interview between the Brian Kendrick and Michael Cole, where the Brian Kendrick talks about his entire life and his career, Heading into kind of his run as the Brian Kendrick, uh, his whole history with substances and how Michael Cole puts him over as one of the most unique wrestlers that he's ever met. 
and Kendrick is incredibly humble, he's kind, he's nice about it. But then, in this, kind of like how the interview goes where Michael Cole talks about TJP, uh, Michael Cole brings up how he's constantly said that he was a former WWE champion. Not an interim WWE champion. And Kendrick, he he just quietly just says, no, I, I was WWE champion. For 10 minutes, I was WWE champion. And this this company never recognized it. Even, even your self-proclaimed honorable champion doesn't recognize it. And Michael... He's he's kind of thrown off by this because he was so calm. It's like, oh, come on, man! Look, you you've had a great career regardless of this. You you were a tag team champion for over a year. You you had promising matches against Triple H in that main event scramble match. You were the workhorse of that match. And Kendrick says, "Yeah, I was, and I was WWE champion." And can and Michael Cole says, "Well, well, you weren't." I mean, if you want to talk about yourself as an underdog, you need to you need to look at your friend, Daniel Bryan. Kendrick, he just he suddenly doesn't really say anything and he he stands up and he he looks to Michael Cole with those like dead expressionless eyes. And he just says, "Tell me I'm the champion." And Michael Cole says, "But but you're tell me I'm the champion." But you're, 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 tell me I'm the champion. And then as he does this, he locks in Michael Cole into the captain's hook and he keeps shouting, tell me I'm the champion. Tell me I'm the champion. And Kendrick, Kendrick keeps on doing this. Tell me I'm the champion. Tell me I'm the champion. Until, until, well, Michael Cole passes out and people rush to his defense. Mike, he would not let go. And then... As Brian Kendrick stands up, he starts looking into the camera, and he's talking directly to Dean Ambrose. He's saying, you know, I, I don't have any history with you, Dean. When I lost my WWE Championship, I was never given a rematch. In fact, the company denied it. They ignored me in the same way that they've always ignored you. You have always been the third member of a SHIELD. You weren't meant to be WWE Champion. You needed a briefcase to earn your match. I needed to work the system. I had to overcome person after person after person being bullied by this company in order to get a shot of this championship that you're currently holding. You were handed that championship. And I don't blame you, Dean. I don't blame you, because if I had the opportunities, I'd have the same thing. I would take the same opportunities. But because I don't, I guess I'm going to need to take them for myself. You know, if you go back into the archives of the WWE Network, I once said that there's a fine line between being a genius and insanity. Well, turns out I was wrong. Because to be a champion, you need to embrace some insanity. And he walks off. At this point, well, Kendrick is completely unhinged. 
His hair is wild as ever. His his entire demeanor across the locker room is just this just this continued death stare to anyone who is not in any way related to him or anything involving the WWE Championship. And Brian Brian keeps he's in denial about this. He's in denial about the fact that the Brian Kendrick has taken such a dark turn in this. He he still sees him as the trainee who he used to train with all those years ago when he used to train with Shawn Michaels. And in this, uh, Brian Kendrick tries to attack Dean Ambrose again, tries to take away his career in that whole chasing around, where is Brian Kendrick? And at this point, Shane McMahon shouts that he is suspended. And at this point, security try to bring out and restrain Brian Kendrick. Daniel Bryan comes out and says, that's reversed. In fact, Shane, I think we need to reward this. Reward the tenacity and the demand, the drive to try and be WWE champion. And Shane McMahon, he argues with him. He doesn't really say anything. And SmackDown goes off the air for that week. And then, heading into Backlash, Dean Ambrose still doesn't have an opponent. Dean Ambrose rushes into the office to talk to Shane McMahon, saying that he wants Kendrick. He wants Kendrick because... He said that he was a weakling. He has never been a weakling. He has always stood on his own. When he held the US title for over a year, he held it and he held it and held it and held it to an extent where it took a battle royal to take him out of that contention. He is a fighting champion and Brian Kendrick brought the fight and Ambrose is going to end it. At this point, Shane McMahon is still a little bit conflicted about this and then the camera pans to... Daniel Bryan with the Bryan Kendrick. Ambrose attempts to rush straight at Kendrick and Kendrick just, he claps and walks away for a bit. And Bryan and Shane try to hold him back and he says, hey, you've got your match. You've got your match. And it's going to be a backlash for the WWE Championship. Bryan Kendrick has weaseled his way into a WWE Championship match by essentially poking the bear. <laughs> So at this point, there would usually be a contract signing, you know, to really make this official. But, well, Dean Ambrose just wants to kill this man. And Brian Kendrick, yeah, he's not going to let that happen. So he convinces Daniel Bryan to sign it directly in the office on a Titantron, looking out from one of Dean Ambrose's matches, essentially prepping himself for the main event. And at this point, Brian Kendrick signs the contract. And Shane McMahon points out to Daniel Bryan, just, look, you don't need to do this, Bryan. You don't need to let this person win. And Bryan says, look, I'm I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing it for him. I'm doing it for the entire SmackDown roster. He's like, no, you're not. You're not, Bryan. You're doing this because deep down, you see Kendrick in the same way that you see yourself. A B-plus player who didn't get the run that he deserved. Because deep down, I think I know what you want, Brian. I think you want to be back in the ring. And Kendrick, he tries to like, whoa, 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 don't, don't, don't twist this around on him. Brian, this, he's doing this because he's jealous of you. Like, you've spent your entire career defying authority. And now, 
he's made you authority and he wants to control you now, Brian. Don't, don't listen to him. Listen to me. Listen to us. The people who are going to make SmackDown a better place, a land of opportunity. And the only way to do that is by me, as Kendrick signs the contract, becoming WWE champion. And at this point, SmackDown goes off the air. Brian Kendrick signing the contract, looking over at Dean Ambrose from the Titan Tron, or just basically looking into the camera. As Daniel Bryan looks on confused. We are finally here. We're at Backlash, where... Yes, the main event is Dean Ambrose versus the Brian Kendrick. And before the match begins, Daniel Bryan sits at the commentary table, just kind of contemplating what he's going to do. He, he of course, puts over the Brian Kendrick coming in. This could be the biggest match of his career, the biggest match of his life. And Dean Ambrose, a dominant champion so far. And the match goes... How do I explain the psychology of this match? It's basically the Brian Kendrick trying to hook on the captain's hook. And also making sure that he targets the arm of Dean Ambrose that's been injured throughout the month. That he's been focusing on it. And for Dean, it's kind of just making sure that he is avoiding any potential loss to this championship. Daniel Bryan, uh, the Brian Kendrick's like tactics towards his arm. And just focusing on like trying to hit the dirty deeds as quickly as possible so his arm doesn't essentially snap. So it gets to a point where these exchanges happen. We get to a point in the match where the Brian Kendrick goes for the sliced bread and he gets a two count. And in the middle of it, he goes for a second one. He manages to hit it, but he knocks out the referee. Now this is very important. He knocks out the referee in the middle of the sliced bread and he realizes that he can't get the cover, so he he asks Daniel Bryan to, you know, come in the ring, get in the ring. And we see that Daniel Bryan unbuttons his flannel shirt to reveal that he's got a referee shirt on. And the crowd pop. It's a point where he's like, no, they're not going to give the title to Kendrick, are they? And he rushes into the ring. One, two, Ambrose kicks out at two and a half. He starts... Asking Daniel Bryan, give me the championship. Give me my WWE championship. And Bryan, he obliges for a bit. He he grabs the championship. And then he asks, like, he asks Bryan to throw it over. Like, throw over the championship for me. I'm going to use this right now. And Bryan looks conflicted. And you just hear the crowd chanting, no, 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 no. And... You know, the referee's still trying to regain consciousness. And Brian, the Brian Kendrick, grabs the championship. Just telling, what are you doing? This, this is my moment, Brian. This is what, this is what we've been waiting for. And Brian, Brian doesn't say much. He just says, I'm sorry. And he chucks away the belt. Brian, the Brian Kendrick, looks on in confusion the crowd chant, yes, as Dean Ambrose hits the dirty deeds for one, two, three. Brian Kendrick was taken out by the one thing that he was begging to have at the beginning of this, and that was a friend. It's, it was, he, he cost himself by obsessing over the idea that Daniel Bryan will get him to the WWE Championship. 
And of course, at this point, Kendrick is still disappointed. He's upset. Brian doesn't know really what to think. He keeps on trying to assure himself that he did the right thing. And that's how Brian Kendrick's shot of the championship goes. From this point, if you wanted, you could go into a feud with Daniel Bryan. Maybe Kendrick snaps and attacks him. And this is the thing that brings Daniel Bryan back into the ring. Uh, possibly with it, you could also reassert Brian Kendrick still looking to win a singles championship in WWE. You've established a, another top contender. And you've given Dean Ambrose another credible title win that... Honestly, I feel like his reign really needed. Like, you look back at the WWE Championship run for Dean Ambrose, it was the Battleground Triple Threat, then you had Dolph Ziggler, which the build was really good, but the match was lackluster. And then the stuff with AJ Styles, which I think people mostly remember that match as being the time that AJ Styles won the WWE Championship, and not Dean Ambrose is, like, reign itself. Which is really underwhelming, actually, when you think about it. But yeah, uh, hopefully with this, maybe the Brian Kendrick could be known as the man with a plan. Or something much more clever. I've, I've forgotten things that are clever. <laughs> How are these all getting longer? Jesus Christ, <laughs> these keep getting longer. <laughs> um, I was not expecting to get so much detail for like two of them. Ah, <laughs> okay, so this is usually the end point of the episode. But if you've listened to this podcast long enough, you know it's not the end. It's, it's always a swerve at the end because... We always have a little bit of games, of a good old game of Fantasy Fumble. So, if you are new to the podcast and you don't know what Fantasy Fumble is, Fantasy Fumble is basically my... The best way to describe it is, it's fantasy booking with no sense. <laughs> it's basically me trying to make a storyline in about three minutes or less. And it's usually accompanied by music. And it's always completely improvised. I don't plan these at all. <laughs> so we're going to see how this goes. Fingers crossed. And without further ado, Fantasy Fumble will begin in three, two, one. Fumble! Let the dumpster fire begin! Right, so uh, Brian Kendrick is a man with a plan, but he's also someone who's incredibly well-read. So, first and foremost, we need to discover how is he going to educate the people, the masses, to read. So at first, he starts coming out to the ring trying to give people bedtime stories like The Little Caterpillar, uh, Little Red Riding Hood, um, ah, I can't think in time, uh, Oh, I can't pick Hansel and Gretel. There we go. Hansel and Gretel. So yeah, he starts giving these things. He's trying to teach people how to read. And of course, people come out asking, why are you trying to force them to read books? What? They don't want to see us read books. They want to see us wrestle. So of course, the Brian Kendrick quickly replies by wrestling them and using the books as a weapon. And then when he wins, he starts reading them a bedtime story. Like... <laughs> 
Uh, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. I hit the sliced bread. You effing fall. So, that's what happens. Week to week, he starts to try help people with their reading. He starts to be like a reading buddy to a point where he gets face to face with the animal Batista. And the animal Batista, he's got his sunglasses on. He's thinking he's ready for any type of fight in the world. And Brian Kendrick is saying, the only fight that I really care about is our love for literature. How about I give you a little book that will help anyone, including you? How about you have a nice little read of Animal Farm? Do you like Animal Farm, Batista? It has animals, just like you, <laughs> and just like the rest of these people in the WWE universe. Batista is, of course, not an angry man. He's a very angry man because he, he likes his animal nickname. So they fight. They have a goddamn, uh, we could say it's 4th of July miracle on... 4th of July firework fight. There we go. Firework fight where Kendrick tries to block shots of fireworks with books. He tries to hit it over the head for Batista. It didn't work. Batista retaliates by hitting Batista bombs onto fireworks that start flying over the arena. Batista wins. Pyro starts playing. Brian Kendrick looks at the book. He throws it away and says, I'm a man with a plan. I don't need to read anymore. I'm a genius. It's just all of you who aren't geniuses. I'm a man with a plan. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to read my favorite book. Do you know what my favorite book is? I don't know. But guess what it is? I bet it starts with some self-help stuff because I am indeed a man with a plan. Let's read some Animal Farm. What the... <laughs> <laughs> he liked his animal farm. <laughs> well, that that's a way to end. I I don't know what else, what else to say about that. Lee Brian Kendrick likes to read. No, no no reason to judge. So I I'm gonna do this because I I'm usually bad at plugging stuff, and uh, so yeah. If you like what I did here, feel free to share it with your friends. Share it with your friendliest friends. Subscribe to the Wrestling With Fiction podcast. And if you feel so inclined, follow me on Twitter at Connor the Cooper or follow me on Instagram at Wrestling With Fiction. And also, in case you missed it, we sell shirts now! Yay! We have shirts! Uh, so, in case you do not follow me on social media, I announced previously that we have shirts! If you feel interested and you feel so inclined, you can support the podcast by purchasing yourself a Wrestling With Fiction podcast shirt over on redbubble.com slash wrestling with F. Why wrestling with F? Because WWF will most likely get me sued and wrestling with fiction was too long. <laughs> uh, so with that, once again, thank you all for listening. Thank you for taking the time to listen to what is likely the longest episode I've recorded to this date. <laughs> Hopefully, I can start controlling this now that I'm adding more things. And if you've stuck around this long, I've already said it before, thank you again for listening. Uh, it's amazing to see this thing still going. I'm surprised that I've kept this going. So, <laughs> with that, I hope all of you have a lovely day. And remember everyone, wrestling could always use just a little bit more fiction. See you all. Good night, everybody.